Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Amazon Music. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow. I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So leave feedback, any you know suggestions for any topics. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated. And by the way, this week is lab week. So I'm a medical laboratory scientist. And I want to thank all my fellow medical laboratory scientists and those laboratory professionals anything that you do anything from from lis from management supervisory education um, advocating for better wages more recognition anything that you do i really thank you for all your work both in and outside the lab thank you so much and if you haven't listened to Last week's episode, go ahead and do so. It was my turn on the hot seat. I got to work with this podcast called The Micro Moment with the Microbigals. They're a very popular podcast, and I'm, I am grateful for the opportunity. So in this episode, I was the one being interviewed, and I talk about my experiences as a medical laboratory scientist. Uh, at one point in time, I was a supervisor, so I talk about the day-to-day -day responsibilities of that. I go over what it's like to teach, how's the format, especially now in times of pandemic. Is it online? Is it in person? So I talk about all my experiences in all the areas that I have worked on. You know, as a laboratorian, as a, as a teacher. I had a great time with the micro moment and I thank them for the opportunity. So it was a great, a great interview. So go ahead and check it out if you haven't yet. It is episode 43, The Micro Moment Talks Micro with Me. And today's episode is an interview episode. I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Daniel Rhodes. He is the section head of microbiology at the Cleveland Clinic in, my, in Cleveland, Ohio. And he came over to the podcast to discuss an article titled Deep Convolutional Neural Networks Implementation for the Analysis of Urine Cultures. So this article talks about um, a software that was tested called Bactericide and its future applications in the lab. I mean, those of you that work in the lab with urine cultures, you know, sometimes, you know, how subjective it can get, how sometimes, you know, there's this gray area, especially with those that are mixed. And you are also aware of instruments such as the BD keystroke with automation. So we talked about this bacteria site and look of, of how this software can be potentially applied to an automated instrument such along the lines of the Keystra. And this software can actually do the reading for you. For example, if it's the culture is negative, you know, it can go ahead and it recognizes that and it can result it. Such, you know, basically the same concept but those of you that work in hematology you know, with the autofile, right? You run the sample on the Sysmex, let's say, or, or any other instrument, 
and if it's you know has some parameters that have been validated and if the sample meets those parameters you know the technology doesn't doesn't touch that diff it will autofile along with the results and if anything is abnormal then that's when there is a flag you pull the sample you make a slide so think along those lines with this bacteria site it can potentially reduce the amount of time that you spend working on cultures by let's say let's it's reading the negatives so you can focus on the positives it can also flag those gray areas is it iffy you know is it mixed is it pure you know bringing it to your attention so you can maybe consult with another technologist maybe with your director to see what kind of call can be made with this so it, it looks you know like you know it looks like it can be very promising that it can actually contribute to the efficiency of the lab as you know one of the challenges that we have in the lab a lot of times is the time factor when we have a lot of cultures we spend so much time with them so if software like this it can reduce the time that we might spend on some cultures let's say the negatives and then we can focus on the positive cultures that will make our workflow more efficient and some results from the bacteria side were compared to images from the BD Keystra that were looked by technologists and the results actually look pretty good we are heading in an era of automation and as our volume increases anything that we can do to improve efficiency it's always a plus like incubators where there's limited access to the text that way the organisms can incubate longer and software like this where perhaps the time that we spend on negative cultures can be reduced and then we can focus more on positive cultures so let's go ahead and listen to the interview so today's an interview episode and we are here to discuss a study uh, that was done on urine cultures and the article title is deep Convol convolutional neural networks implementation for the analysis of urine culture this was published on the journal of clinical chemistry of the american association for clinical chemistry this year so today with me i have dr daniel rhodes dr rhodes welcome to let's talk micro thanks so much for having me lewis you're welcome um so let's start by telling the listeners uh, what's your occupation yeah i'm a medical director for for a microbiology laboratory Currently, I'm at the Cleveland Clinic. Okay, so the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. Okay, so uh, the question that you know we start, you know, I'm going to start asking is, so what was the purpose of this study? Yeah, well, the the previous position I held, I was at a different hospital system, University Hospitals, which is also in Cleveland, and we had been using. Uh, BD Keystra's lab automation for a number of years. And so um, we had gotten used to uh, performing urine cultures and looking at the Petri dishes digitally, uh, you know, on the screen instead of holding them in our hand and interpreting them in that manner. And, uh, you know, we, we had tens of thousands of images of these urine cultures, and we also had the paired, you know, interpretation from the medical laboratory scientists as to whether those urine cultures were interpreted as essentially being positive or negative or indeterminate. And 
and we thought this might be a good use case to employ an, you know, artificial intelligence to, to see if the computer can figure out when we interpret it as positive or negative. All right, very well. So um, can, you, can you do um, for the listeners what's a brief summary of the study, please? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a collaborative work. So there were, um, we, we worked with both uh, Wash Use Laboratory in St. Louis and University Hospitals uh, in Cleveland. There's a data scientist who developed the, the software and microbiologists, molecular pathologists. So we all worked together uh, to try to see if we could build a computer algorithm to interpret images of urine cultures and interpret them as either negative or essentially negative, right? We sometimes we call that, you know, minimum, you know, minimal urethral flora, you know, or or sometimes the plates are just clean, right, with no growth. Those are easy. And then the others are, uh, you know, positive. And sometimes those are easy, right? If you have 100,000 uh, CFUs per ml of E. coli, uh, that's an easy call. Uh, but what's challenging for everybody, including, it turns out, the software is figuring out, um, you know, where to draw the line between positive or negative or when to issue an indeterminate result saying it looks like it was contaminated at the time of collection. You know, we, we can't tell if the bacteria in here are from a urinary tract infection or just from contamination during collection. So we used tens of thousands of images and, and interpretations from, from laboratory scientists and uh, developed the computer model and then tested that model um, with a challenge set. And it turns out that the computer actually does a really good job um, with, with most of these. And actually, um, since it's, it's trained, uh, you know, kind of with interpretations from the whole laboratory, uh, the model you could argue actually does better than any one individual uh, at interpreting a, a single image of a urine culture plate. Okay, so and then this images that you said that they were uh, looked by technology, so they were from like a system like the BD Keystra. Yeah, so BD Keystra was the automation system in place that uh, captured the images, just part of standard of care. And then post standard of care, we we maintain the images in the, you know, save those images, and we knew how they were interpreted because that information was in the laboratory information system, and then retrospectively, uh, we were able to 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 do the study on on the interpretations and and the images. Um, so as I was reading the article, I saw this term of fuzziness. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, uh, Dr. Alawani, who's the data scientist uh, who, who developed the algorithm, taught me that term. So that's a, a data science term, apparently. I'm, tr I'm trying to come up to speed with all my data science terms. So uh, fuzzy data are things that are difficult to interpret, right? It's, it's difficult to say uh, what the truth is. Um, sometimes when I, when I explain this, I, I like to use a color gradient, right? Like blue to green. So if you imagine a, a color gradient from blue to green, you can point to the blue side and everybody would say, yep, I agree that's blue. And you can point to the green side and everybody would say, yeah, I agree that's green, or sorry, blue on the one side, green on the other, everybody's gonna agree. And then somewhere in the middle, it's gonna transition from blue to green if those are your only two options. And everybody's gonna pick a slightly different point where they would say it's blue or now it's green. So that transition is fuzzy, right? There's not an absolute truth that everybody agrees upon. 
um, and, and it is really subjective. So that's the challenge when we're uh, training an algorithm uh, to call a urine culture positive or negative. You know, um, sometimes people use a cutoff of like 100 CFUs per ml, right? Well, what if it's 99 or what if it's uh, 99.9 CFUs per ml? You know, when do you really draw the line? Um, you know, it's it's not as clear cut as like doing a uh, blood blood cell differential, right? It's either, you know, that's usually pretty clear. It's a lymphocyte or it's a neutrophil. There's not, you know, something in between a lymphocyte and a neutrophil. Um, but, but with a urine culture, uh, there's definitely a gray zone in, in the middle between positive and negative, and um, everybody makes that determination a little bit differently. So, so the truth is essentially fuzzy. It's not clear cut, and that's challenging for all of us. Yes, it's definitely challenging. And, and as, as you were talking about this, I definitely started thinking about it. And yes, you know, I have worked in several areas, and of course, microbe is my favorite. I can't get away from it. I love it. But there's always that gray area. It is, yeah, there's definitely, you you know, you have to use a lot of judgment. And definitely with the cultures, even by working them the regular manual method, when you're looking at the plates, making that judgment, you know, like, do I work it up? Do I don't work it up? Does it look mixed? Doesn't. So it really, it's always challenging, especially when you're like a brand new, you know, recently graduated technologist. So you start seeing all these extra plates being worked up and all these organisms while everyone starts getting, you know, getting more comfortable in making that judgment. So yes, it's definitely a lot of gray. Yeah, I don't think, um, you know, I think everybody who, who does the testing, right, who interprets what's growing on a Petri dish um, can appreciate that. But I, I, don't, I don't think that a lot of people outside of the microbiology lab uh, recognize the, the fuzziness. Um, yes. And before I ask this, the, the next question, um, I used to, years ago, I used to work with the Previ Isola. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. But yeah, there was like this zone that if you, there was some growth there, you should interpret it as no growth. And that was, I used to see so many plates of, you know, technologies working them up because it's like, no, but it's growing. How can you say it's not growth? So that adds definitely to that gray area. It's like, I'm seeing it. Why am I going to call it no growth? So that was definitely a, a challenge when we had that instrument. Now we don't have it anymore. So we don't see that. But yes, definitely a lot of gray. Yeah, the Keystra uses inocula. Uh, not, I'm familiar with the Previ ISA. I've never, I've never used it. But, you know, Keystra's front end is the inocula. And what's challenging for a lot of people is uh, the minimum volume that it will plate on a, on a Petri dish is 10 microliters. And most people who do urine cultures are most commonly used to using a one microliter loop. So uh, when they encounter that 10 microliter inoculation, they kind of have to recalibrate how they interpret urine cultures because you can't count a thousand colonies on a plate and say it's 100 CFUs per ml. Uh, the approach has to change a little bit. So uh, what are some, some future applications of a bacteriocyte in the clinical lab? Yeah, when, when, I, when I talk about uh, using you know, these AI applications, such as the one that was built for urine cultures, I, I like to think about the opportunities for both efficiency and quality, and you can use it for both or either. So a couple examples um, of how you might employ this, you know, software tool uh, to improve quality or efficiency would be uh, for quality, let's say that we have um, an image uh, 
you know, of a Petri dish, of a urine culture. And, and the algorithm knows that it falls into the gray area, right? It's seen hundreds or thousands of these, you know, borderline cases and it, and it knows that it's challenging to interpret. So, so it might be best instead of just, you know, whoever's on the bench that day making the call, uh, maybe it's best to get a consensus as to what to do with that. Or maybe it's best to bring that up to the medical director so they can review the chart and see, you know, what's happening clinically with the patient. Um, you know, the, you could potentially improve the quality of the interpretation of the growth if, if you know that it's, you know, this culture is hard to interpret. And so don't just go with what one person says. That, so that was one way to maybe use this to improve quality. Efficiency is another application that could be used. So uh, the algorithm does pretty good at saying no growth, right? It, you can imagine it's not hard to look at a Petri dish and say, there's no colonies on there. Um, that, 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 that should work pretty well. So if that is the case, then why, you know, why take my time? Why take our time reviewing those manually uh, if the software can look and say there's no colonies on there, uh, we should be able to sign that out without a manual review, right? Again, going back to hematology, um, everybody's now accustomed to the auto diff, right? It's not a, you know, many times if nothing's unusual, the white blood cell differential goes out uh, without anybody even looking at the, at the white cells. Uh, we validated the instrument and trust that it can tell the neutrophil from the lymphocyte and the results go out. Uh, you know, I'm pretty confident that that's going to be the future of microbiology uh, eventually. I'm not sure when, but at some point, I think we'll be able to focus more of our effort on the challenging cases and, and let the computer take care of the really straightforward ones. Okay. So then this, you know, like this type of software, software will be like attached to something like a system, kind of like the, the keystar or something along those lines. Yeah. So the two kind of big automation, uh, bacteriology automation systems in the U.S. right now are WASP lab from Copan and Keystra that's, that's made by BD. Um, and then there's some other systems uh, like Clever Culture Systems has, has a smaller unit that's not quite as um, integrated uh, into the laboratory workflow. And then um, I2A is another platform, but that's not really in the U.S., but there's, there's more and more movement towards automation in bacteriology. And as it becomes more and more routine to capture culture plates uh, images, there's gonna be more and more opportunity to develop software tools and implement them in creative ways to uh, provide better quality or efficiency in the laboratory. So um, just a quick question about, so you're familiar with the BD uh, Keystra. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't worked with it. I mean, I'm, my lab only has the portion that, you know, the inoculate portion. But um, so it, from what I read, so it really reduces the, since the, you know, the plates are just incubating and no one opens and there's not that constant opening, it really reduces the time that it takes, right? For them to be flag as positive. Yeah, there's some studies that have been done to show that um, these, these automated systems uh, seem to be able to recover growth of, of the colonies more quickly. And the hypothesis is that, like you said, it's the temperatures maintained uh, more steadily. So, so the growth can happen uninterrupted by, you know, temperature changes in humidity. So, and, and there's also been, you know, people have noticed that they recover organisms that 
maybe they weren't recovering before, um, like Gard Gardnerella, uh, you know, is maybe recovered more more readily. Whereas in previously before a lab has implemented an automated system, they weren't recovering that as well. Yeah, that's definitely one of the of the challenges of the of laboratories that don't have that they don't have an automated system like that. It's just always, especially the larger the facility gets, there's all that frequent activity all day opening the incubators. And then you, on top of that, different techs have different methods. So sometimes, you know, you have the tech that takes everything out at six in the morning, and then those plates are sitting there for three to four hours. So you have all these variables. So, and yes, I, I also seen it with blood cultures, you know, like for example, like the back tea, back tea alert, where you were opening the drawers and scanning. And then you had all, sometimes all this false negative uh, popping out and then with the virtual system that, you know, the bottles are there, the negatives are expelled, you know, it, it's so sensitive that it gets to the point that sometimes, you know, it flags you, you don't see anything and you have to do a cytospin and then you see the organism. So that, you know, human factor of us opening and closing definitely affects the, the growth, you know, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's kind of an unintended consequence. I think, you know, the automation systems are I think the main, you know, market marketing point for those is that they in, improve the efficiency, right? People can do twice as much work because, you know, they're, they're not shuffling plates. But then there's these other unintended, I would say, secondary improvements that we that we've noticed along the way as well. And it's nice when um, it works even better than you're expecting. It definitely is. So, I mean, you kind of talk about this a little bit, but I will ask the question. I mean, there's definitely, like you said, you know, in other areas of the lab that I've seen, we definitely, you know, um, like in hematology, you know, your negatives auto verify, the same happens with your analysis. You know, I've seen it on COAG. So there's many areas where that, you know, the auto file function is applied and it definitely reduces the amount of samples that you have to go through and check. So the study mentions that perhaps, you know, bactericide can be used to auto verify one day. So I know you mentioned something, but can you talk more about how it can be used for microbiology? Yeah, I, th I think the probably the first systems that we'll see that will auto-verify cultures will be identifying no growth. I'm not an expert with the FDA, but um, you know it, it's it's challenging to bring new, new tools to the FDA. But what the FDA does recognize currently are essentially colony counters, and so if you um, demonstrate that your instrument can work like a colony counter and it can accurately count zero colonies, uh, then, then if you have a no growth plate, the instrument should be able to identify that. And I would say, you know, report that without review, potentially. Uh, you know, I think that's the lowest hanging fruit for implementation of these kind of algorithms. And then, um, you know, the next steps would be, you know, working up cultures that are obviously positive, right? Like we talked about that you know, greater than 100,000 CFUs per ml of E. coli, which is, you know, the most common pathogen you encounter in a urinary tract infection. So if, if it can, you know, make that suspected call and then, um, you know, circle the colony that needs to be worked up for susceptibility and definitive identification, um, you know, I think right from a regulatory standpoint, that'll take a little more work, but I think it's um, completely feasible technically. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That will be very helpful, especially you know facilities where you have such a high volume. So maybe by not having to touch all those negative plates and work with those, then you can 
spend your time more appropriately working the ones that are positive and you know susceptibilities in other areas of micro. Yeah, and and you mentioned the virtuo that you know Bia Mary you makes for blood cultures. You know, blood culture automation has really come a long way. If you talk to somebody who's um, you know close to retirement age and has spent forty years in the micro lab, they'll tell you how they used to go in the walk-in incubator every day and look for growth in all the uh, blood culture tubes that they you know bled the patients into manually, right? I mean, we we do use automation in microbiology. Um, you know, we don't we sometimes forget about it or don't think about it too much because it's become so routine, but for susceptibility testing, uh, you know, oftentimes nobody's looking at that well, you know, to see if there's growth or not. We trust that the instruments can find turbidity and we validated that. And that's what we use routinely. So, you know, this is kind of a next step in automation, but it, you know, it's not like, you know, some people worry that our jobs are going to go away or something like that. But I would argue that, um, that risk is very low. We ha- we've already implemented a lot of automation in microbiology, and it's still hard to find enough good people uh, to do all the work. Yes, indeed, and and we we actually you know have gotten so used to the automation that sometimes you know when in the lab you know going back to blood cultures you know if we get let's say like the the bottle that doesn't go with the instrument and then we do have to do the manual process. Everyone is like, oh, here we go, you know, like this checking it doing the twice a day doing the so everyone looks at them and sometimes you know especially if you get them from some facility and you get many you definitely hear the complaints in the lab so yes we definitely have have gone a long way in automation yeah yeah i mean technology is great when it works and and we we learn to live with it and lean on it and um like you said we we don't even recognize it sometimes until it gets taken away from us and then we realize how much we rely on it and and appreciate it Yes, indeed. Um, so is there anything else you would like to tell the audience about this study? So I think this study is one in, in kind of a recent series of studies that in microbiology demonstrate the potential uh, implementation of uh, artificial intelligence to interpret images. There's been a couple other recent publications that 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 look at other areas of microbiology. So I think of one that was published not too long ago from a group in China doing uh, Nugent score gram stains for bacterial vaginosis. And then uh, a group tech site and, and ARUP uh, out of Salt Lake uh, published one not too long ago about uh, using a similar you know, artificial intelligent neural network for oven parasite uh, trichrome testing. Um, so, so this is, you know, I feel like there's lots of different angles uh, to, to explore and potentially implement uh, image analysis tools uh, like this. And, and I was excited that we got to work with Petri plates and cultures, uh, but I expect microscopic images are, we will also in the not too distant future uh, be rolling out uh, applications for artificial intelligence and microbiology for microscopic images if if you're not in a lab that's already using that uh well uh dr rhodes you know uh, thank you for taking the time to uh coming to let's talk micro and sharing this information with us it's been all my pleasure thanks so much for having me lewis you're welcome and for the listeners out there um on the episode you'll see the link for the study if you want to go ahead and check it out and read it all right thank you dr rhodes thanks so much
And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Rhodes' interview. I enjoyed sharing it with you. As always, stay motivated. Keep bringing that passion to what you do. Happy Lab Week again. Thank you, all you laboratorians, for all your work. I know, I mean, I experienced it myself, and I know it hasn't been easy with the pandemic. Supply shortages, short staff, and yet we all stepped up and did our jobs and took care of our patients. Thank you so much for everything you do. As always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.